Ladies and gentlemen, we got Mike Kriegelstein up in the small room sesh. This guy is a renaissance man, a jack of all traits, and honestly, just an awesome human being. Well, thank you. That is very kind. <laughs> so Mike, tell me, because I don't want to just look at your website and see all the beautiful things that you've done. I want to hear, what are you up to nowadays? What's on your mind? What's capturing your attention? Uh, on a daily basis, what captures my attention is, is like forward thinking, trying to think about what the next step is, you know, because it's, it's just constant movement. And uh, it's, it's kind of like chasing a target that keeps moving around and you aim for it. You shoot your arrow, but it misses because the target moved <laughs> as you shot the arrow. So uh, what that involves right now is, is uh, you know, a couple projects I have going that are kind of long-term projects, you know, like looking towards the future with them, one of which is Oblio Nero, which we actually just played at the Cubby Bear, which is a lot of fun. And that is, that is actually how me and Mike met. Was through Oblion Arrow? Yeah, yeah. We, we played in a band together for a little while. And there's a lot of connections. Like, I have a ton of friends that went to North Central College, and that's where you went to get your music education. Yeah. And that's how we met, really. Cause, and that's how Oblio got a large part of its start, too, was the NCC, NCC family. We bleed Cardinal Red. Wait, who? So Jenna was there, too. <laughs> Jenna and Emily. And, and we were all in a combo together at North Central. Uh, Jack Mouse's combo, hmm. which was a lot of fun. Me and Jenna had a little like duet of uh, upright. I was playing upright bass for college, and she was uh, singing. We did that song Skylark. Skylark, have you? And it was just great. It was like me just on the upright and Jenna singing it. I was like, yeah, I think me and this girl are gonna do some stuff together someday. It's pretty much pretty much how how me and Jenna rolled as well. She's just like, hey, I can sing sweet harmonies to anything, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> great, do that, you know. Yeah, it's a talent to have uh, Jenna and Emily in the band. They really, they really add uh, so much and, and have become part of the fabric of the, the project. And that's when I say long-term projects, it's like, you know, me and Matt uh, Kopecki, the, the founding member of Oblio Nero and, and lead songwriter, we've been working together for like almost six, I think six years now. And that involves like calling each other, talking on almost a semi-daily basis and working on whatever plan is next or this and that. And you know, falling in, falling out, and just making time and time again, coming back and, and making it work with whatever we have, you know. So when I say the target changes, it's changed several times. And, you know, it's it's kind of fun chasing it. That's You got to enjoy that process, right? Yeah. So you're a creator yourself. Like you write your own music. You've put out a couple albums. And the latest thing you put out, uh, I, I don't know if it's part of a bigger project, but Bloom yeah, I'm working on uh, the album, and I just leaked the one, the because first track. Because that sounds really freaking good. <laughs> I mean, it screams like Grateful Dead a little bit to me. Like, you can tell there's influence in there. I love the melody. I love the musicianship. And I did you play all the lead guitar on that? I did, yeah. Because the harmonies, uh, the harmonies towards the end in the solo, yeah, really yeah, cool, dude. totally. And that's actually uh, that that end melody line. Uh, my friend Aton Bernstein wrote, uh, and he's playing it on a Mellotron guitar. So he's playing the lower line first. We play it in unison, and then at the end, it's like the harmonies. And I'm playing the harmony. He's playing the the unison line. So it's a Mellotron going through an amp you know, to get that distorted sound. It's cool because it sounds like a guitar, but it's like a little bit, like it adds a bit of a thicker texture, I think, than lead guitar alone can get. But yeah, I appreciate that. That that song took a long time to craft and, and figure out. And 
And uh, that's kind of the response I've gotten from a lot of people. They're like, you sound like Jerry <laughs> or something oh, like I'm that. Sorry. Like, I'm sorry. No, it's, it's well, I mean, what an honor. You know, that's the music I grew up listening to. And it, and it is it is my heart. It is my home. So, you know, I'll, I've learned several times throughout my life that I can't really deny that. And, uh, and the fact that my first concert was there last and, you know, very, very influential. One of my first albums I ever bought was Shakedown Street and just really at in a middle school age, you know, just hit me hard. And, uh, you know, I, I try to carry that with me. So it's fun. And the rest of the album, the cool part is that I, it's kind of like an homage to my favorite groups. And uh, what's really funny is that I, t I took a master class with this uh, guitar player, Chris Siebold. He's a, a kind of a local guy who's uh, made a living playing guitar and, you know, selling his, his musicianship. And, um, and he said, you know what you should go do is write your own version of your favorite song. <laughs> and I thought yeah. that was really cool because that's kind of this album bloom. I went and I thought about all my favorite bands and all my favorite artists and, and songs. And I was like, no, I'm going to just figure out a way to do that my, in my way, you know. And uh, Bloom ended up being that in the sort of Grateful Dead sense, I guess. You know? Yeah, and and when I say that, uh, you know, I know you don't take any offense because I hear that same sort of thing all the time. Like, dude, you're you're just like Jason Mraz or this or that. <laughs> it, because in the situation that they hear me, that is what they think I am. But but for you, it's definitely highly original. It just it just uh, shows me sort of where you're rooted. And then you take it off in your own direction, you know, and it's beautiful and it's done so well. Thanks. Uh, and to go back to that point of like, you know, pick your favorite song and then write your own song that like reminds you of that or, or artist or whatever. Like, because I, I heard this story about uh, Paul McCartney and John Lennon, like how one wrote Penny Lane and one wrote uh, Strawberry Fields for, Forever. But they really wrote it around the idea of like this place. And like one wrote it and then the next one wrote that song. And I ended up writing a song driving down a, a Route 59. If you're in Naperville, you know what that is. But there's an avenue called uh, Audrey Avenue. And uh, a song popped in my head right when that happened. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> you know, I guess I'm going to answer that too with a, with another place. Yeah, it can come at any time. So just not, You never know when the melody is going to hit you or the word structure or whatever it is. That's that's the fun part about songwriting. You know, there's so many stages to an album. And and I've always liked the album format because it is like, it's kind of like, a, I don't know, a hermit crab going into its shell and living in that shell for a while and then getting to come out and find a new shell to go into. And, uh, you know, there's the songwriting stage, the exploration. And that took a good year, you know, just writing songs. I wasn't recording much at the time. And then towards the end of that, you're starting to get the rough drafts of the acoustic versions down on the recording. And then uh, once that's all in place, you know, maybe throwing some bass lines on stuff, you bring in a drummer who you can trust to uh, kind of imagine the finished version of the song, come in and just, you know, lay it down. Who was that? Uh, this uh, friend of mine, an old friend of mine, Ian Friedrich, who actually lives in South Korea now with his family. And uh, he was like, I'm out. I'm going to South Korea. <laughs> no, he's, uh, his wife is South Korean. And uh, he just, he wanted to live there instead of here. Wow. And I kind of respect Dude, that. Dude, South Korea is yeah. like the coolest place ever, man. They have like a national video game. <laughs> like like we'd have like a national bird. And like also they are on the border of like the the like opposite of that cool of a nation. <laughs> yeah, right. Like this place that is just like one TV channel and Who stuff. Who we might be going to war with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like it almost is it almost is that that feature of like if you don't 
know what darkness looks like. You don't know what lightness looks like. If you don't have the contrast of this to that, and it's like that nation right there is like the light on the border of darkness. And yeah. so I think it's a yeah. really cool place to be. I feel like there's got to be like a high energy there. Totally. And uh, he moved like three days after we finished the drone tracking. So he was like, if you want to get me, man, you got to get me over there now. <laughs> and if there's one thing I've learned about creating something is you have to do it as fast as you can, man, because all of a sudden life happens and it's not going to, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Ideas are, are very fragile and they can just get lost so fast. Yeah. The, and, and the feeling of the idea mm-hmm. is yeah. like the most important part. Like if you've ever woken up in the middle of the night with like a song idea and you try to record it and you wake up in the morning and go, what was I even thinking? <laughs> Sometimes you got to get up at four in the morning and your alarm goes off in two hours because you got to do that song because <laughs> you don't want to lose it, you know? Yeah, motivation is a tricky thing. And I feel like it's it's one of those things that uh, people try to push. You know, you can push motivation and try to push your, your limits all the time. Um, but there's also an aspect of, like, finding your right way, you know? And motivation is tricky because, like, what motivates you at one moment might spiritually re- lead you in the right direction. And, uh, and it's always hard to tell whether maybe I'm, uh, I don't know, produce, producing false motivation towards something or like letting somebody else's influence motivate me in a way that maybe is away from my own mission, you know, my own thing that I'm supposed to do. Um, it's tricky, you know, motivation. I, I think about it a lot and a lot of the canine songwriting, especially Campfire Stories, the acoustic album, a lot of that's about motivation and the, what it encompasses because it's, it's a tricky devil. <laughs> Yeah, it's a really pretty album, man. And you put off some, like, great vibes. I know you're a teacher, too. Um, like, that's, like, pretty much your day job, right? It and, is the job, yeah. But at the same time, you got Velvet Vision Productions. Yeah, I'm the audio production, yeah. My favorite thing that you put on that is there isn't a task that I can't, like, take or something like that. <laughs> and then you're, like, production smoduction or something like that. It's, like, cleaning off, like, seriously, bro, I'll figure it out if you hire me. It's, and it's I'm, great because that's actually how I see you, man. I, lit- I literally don't know what you can't do musically related. Like, it's a, it's, I think it's a production thing, too, that you, you kind of have to be that jack-of-all-trades to figure out a lot of different things, you know, um, just to be able to put out fires and <laughs> whatever's happening. It, and the CD itself has, like, a, a hot-dripped wax dog paw print because he goes by K9. So you can find him at K9.com. It's K... Uh, slash n e i n dot com. I think it's a dash. Dash. Yeah. Not slash. A, a, slash sorry, sorry. a slash should be like. I always mess those up. My yeah. Brain. No. I, I is. I think there's it's a, a difference. It's a dash for yeah. sure. You're um, correct. Anyways, they're just the little things, man. The little things. And then yeah, you it tie is it about, off with a hemp rope. It's so beautiful. It's been about the little things, and and uh, I feel like Bloom is is kind of more about the bigger things. That's what I like about the album is that it's it's a lot bigger in scope and size, and uh, that that track kind of says it all. It's like you know, open the petals of your flower and bloom. You know, get out. And you there, spelled it. Thing. You spelled it differently. I did. Yeah. Uh, Any reasons? You or me. Um, <clears throat> kind of going on a pseudo german theme of bloom okay <laughs> i'm a huge judy bloom fan no that's not it my dog is named bloom so oh um and We're, he's he, and it's a boy so you I was spell like, his name like y- that too? yeah i was like like can't be bloom b-l-o-b-l-o-o-m sounds kind of effeminate 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's like the male <laughs> version if you're going to be called Bloom. But I actually named the dog after the song. So. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you wrote the song before you got the dog? I did, yeah. <clears throat> wow. Probably about three or four months before I got him. And then it's funny because he's a... He's an Australian cattle dog, and I don't know if you know anything about the breed, but they are just, like, crazy active. He just won't give up all day. Fetch, whatever it is, playing, uh, just tug of war. He just won't let you go until he just finally passes out. And it so fits the theme of the song, which is, like, try a little bit harder, show me that you're smarter. And uh, it's So it doesn't sound like this at all, but it's got the vibe of an album that, like, I'm surprised I liked as much as I did, but the Curious George soundtrack by Jack Johnson just had this great <laughs> vibe to it of, like, just you couldn't help but feel happy inside. And that's what I got from that album. But it, I could tell that it was going somewhere else because it ends with, like, this, like, kind of trippy feedback. And then, like, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Like, it's going somewhere I like that. that, yeah. A couple of my albums, actually, the first track have, like, a juxtaposition at the end of the track that... And uh, one of my uh, one of my family members actually told me one time, like you should you shouldn't do that because it ruins the, you know, you got all these feels from the oh, tune, and then you just throw out something opposite. And I'm like, well, that's the point. I'm that's trying the to way. trying to cleanse a palate. It's like the ginger between each uh, piece of sushi, you know. Bro, that's the way. So, Velvet Vision, would you say that that <clears throat> takes up a third of your time? Um, <clears throat> not even. It, well, I mean it. It's hard to say because Velvet Vision encompasses Oblio and K9 and the studio and doing live sound and all that. It's like so a corporation. It, it's an LLC, yeah. yeah, that me and my dad, uh, Werner Kriegelstein, started. And and moving on to you have Whole Life Farm. Mm-hmm. Is that like kind of a home base for anything that you do there? Is that a completely separate entity? Uh, well, Whole Life Farm has become sort of a home base over the years, and uh, we're fixing it up, so it's not really livable yet. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, we shot that music video for uh, uh, Finish Line Sounds of Starting Gun with Oblio Nero. We shot that up at the farm over the summer with uh, Tim Schmidt filming and directing. And that was epic, man. Thanks. Tim yeah, Schmidt is the man. That was, <laughs> it came out something special, yeah. And um, so the farm's been kind of... Uh, Another one of those long-term projects and, and moving targets. You know, it's, it's definitely moved on me a couple times. But we've come so far, and we've done so much work up there. We've gone through, like, nine or ten dumpsters worth of trash and, and stuff from the house. And, and we have a gutted house now and a new floor plan and a septic tank put in and uh, on a beautiful, you know, 30-something acre plot of land in southwest Michigan. So it's the dream is to turn it into something like an Airbnb and have events up there and stuff because it's only about two hours from Chicago, but it's it's a long term project. <laughs> yeah, but but here's the thing, man: is so long as you're doing stuff, dude, it's gonna be done before you know it, man. Because you know, you you seem like the kind of guy that enjoys the projects that you're working on. Yeah. For so sure. it's like, I think a lot of times it's easy to forget that. It should be about enjoying the project, not about the end thing. Because once you finish something, it's finished. And that's not the beauty. The beauty is the creating it. And and when I said you're a renaissance man, a jack of all traits, I see you, like, actually tearing out the floor and, like, building a <laughs> new floor. And, like, you know, but you could also, like, go host a whole event and, like, set up the sound for it. You could not only do that, but you could get up there and play guitar and not just play gu- guitar, but run your electric through, like... 
all all the different technical <laughs> things that like I'm just like, oh, a tube screamer is like gonna give me a good cry. <laughs> cool crybaby, yeah. I right. de- yeah, I definitely <laughs> have a way of taking things to the uh, the next level. To uh, whatever it is, the next level or a different level or something. But for better or for worse, I get into what I'm doing. You know, I, and I've been like that since I was a little kid. Like playing Legos at like eight o'clock at night. There's no way I'm going to bed till like three in the morning. You know, that was just how I did Legos. I would say I'd be shocked if like. I'm not up at some huge, like, awesome indie music fest at Whole Life Farms, like, in the not-so-distant future. Yeah, I think it can happen. It's uh, it's a matter of a lot of different things aligning and, um, you know, just keeping my nose to the ground and working. And, and at this point, getting out there and playing more because I feel like I've just kind of been incubating a lot. And, and Bloom especially is, like, the album to be like, well, let me get out there and play this material because it's... I feel like the, I have support behind it from a lot of different areas, and including myself. You know, you have to incubate though, man, because I, I actually, um, I'm I'm a firm believer in the idea that like you need to be alone to come up with like original ideas. That you can bring it into a group, and blossom it, but that you need to take it all back and like really get in your own mind and really see like, am I sure about these things that I'm feeling like? what is it that I like about this and what is it that I don't? And, like, usually when you go to show somebody, like, what do you think about this? If they tell you, oh, well, this, you're like, oh, no, I already knew that. I didn't even have to show you that song because, like, I already knew that. Like, sometimes you just got to do what you feel and, like, you know when something's done in the end, I think. But Yeah. It's, it's yeah, good that... to retract and, and just, you know, it's like... It, it's like summer versus winter. Like winter is a good time to record because not as much is going on. <laughs> it's a hibernation and time. And using that. Yeah. Know? I'm sure lots of artists use the winter and lots of people in general to just not do much or, or, or stay inside and get things done instead of being outside. Yeah, but there's also the aspect of, uh, you know, bringing your guitar somewhere special or like you said, when you're driving and it just kind of hits you out of nowhere. And we, I, I kind of... I forgot where I heard it, but it was the idea that, uh, you know, daydreaming is really important to artists because it's the time when your brain just kind of gets to randomly grab things and put them together. And the nowadays we fill our lives with so much, you know, and, and I even I do like an hour and a half commute each day for work. And uh, and even during that time, I find myself like, you know, NPR, music, listen to the album to, to do mixes, whatever it is, just one thing after the other. And uh and sometimes I'm just like, wait, no, I just got to shut it off for a second. <laughs> you know, yeah. just let, like get a good 20, 30 minutes, which is dead silence. to just let the brain kind of do what it needs to do. And uh, you, I feel like we miss that sometimes. You know? Dude, I feel like the worst is when you take in so much and then you're like, I can't have any more. And then nothing's playing in your brain either because you just filled it up. And there is that <laughs> time where you just got to be like, yeah, nothing's got to be cool for a little bit. And then eventually it starts thawing out, and then eventually you're like, it would be great to hear that album again. Or it'd be, you know, I could really use another uh, another lesson about something awesome that's happening in the world from NPR. That's like post-concert. I'm always like, no music for a little while. Yeah. Just, <laughs> like, I, I yeah. can just have my fill. I don't yeah, need to hear like, it. I, it's not that I still don't enjoy it. I just don't enjoy it right now. Yeah. I love 
I love concerts. You know, I love the production aspect. And uh, I got to work at summer camp last summer just doing uh, stage crew stuff. Dude, that's so cool. And, it, you know, it was, a, it was a small job and there were a lot of people working it that really didn't uh, – uh, hadn't done much in production or sound. They, they definitely weren't like engineers like me or, or you know, I could have jumped behind the soundboard and, and done what some of those guys were doing. But uh, but I was just wrapping cables and helping them out. But even still to just see it from the inside and and then the day after the festival, Monday, I stuck around and uh, they were short-staffed and I kind of stuck around to help tear down one of the stages and got to meet the guy who like owns the stage and drove it from New York out to, you know, Chillicothe to set up this gigantic stage and have the, be the main stage for the weekend, you know? And just, it was like this one dude knew the like 500 stages steps of like taking down this giant like platform stage <laughs> that then turned into a flatbed truck and drove away. He's got to be like a director of it because it's his stage. Yeah, and right. Nobody else could even Nobody knows how, yeah. He's like, well, I bought this stage. I'm like, man, you own this thing? It's just, and to me, that was all just so cool, you know? I think a lot of people go to see concerts and they're all like, you know, it's the music, it's the dancing, which I love. And I've, I've had plenty of that experience, but at some point I just started peeking my head over to the side being like what's that guy doing yeah wait a second what's that guy doing and and started to ask them and interview them you know and and uh get behind that soundboard or get behind that whatever did you also (laughs) go on like a tour with the giving tree band i did yeah a couple uh two or three i think because they're super cool i actually just saw their house for the first time yesterday oh yeah (laughs) nice they were shooting some new videos for the album and dude that coolest dudes ever i gotta i just gotta ask how was it like being on the road it was uh it was being on the road it was the some of the highest highs experience wise and then some of the lower lows that you can have you know? oh, no. there's nothing there's nothing pleasant about sleeping on the floor of a van even if it's a very very nice sprinter van you're still sleeping on the floor and yeah. and you know it's just what what has to be done on the road. There's not a budget to just get hotels every night. You know, you got to make it to the next place the next day. And, you know, you got to account if your tire's going to break or whatever it is. So you just got to hit the road. You know, you got to be moving from place to place. And and I'm I'm such a homebody, you know. Me like, too. I need yeah. my home time. And and it was it was jarring in that way. But then, I mean, there was one... There was one night in particular where we played this like roots retreat in the middle of the Rocky Mountains. This guy owned like a 500 acre piece of land with the part of the Colorado uh, River in it. And uh, and it was just crazy. He had all these cabins and stuff and then like a long haul that the band played in. And then we stuck around all night, had acoustic guitars by the bonfire, listening to the river, uh, you know, going in the background and... Um, Dude, who has an actual river running through the property? <laughs> yeah. Just like, yeah, this part of the river... And, he, and then he, like, want. gave us – we had our own cabin for the band. So it was just this – it was this amazing experience. And I remember that night, you know, playing by Moonlight. Uh, they had a wash tub base. You know, you got a whole crowd. There were probably, like, 20 people around the fire, a huge fire. And uh, and I played this Grateful Dead tune, um, Broke Down Palace, which is actually on my SoundCloud. I have a recording that, that I did with some friends. Um, and this guy came up to me afterwards, and he said – I'll never forget. He's like, thank you for learning music. <laughs> and it was like, you know, you kind of get, you'll get people that thank you for playing and thank, thanks for playing tonight, you know, yeah. but like, thank you for the time that you spent before now, <laughs> like yeah. leading up to now to make sure that you could do that tonight. And I just thought that was so cool, you know, and in Colorado, there's so many music lovers out there to begin with that you just, you get, we got really well received and, um, and then we did that, uh, the opening for Edward Sharp tour. And that was just like, that, that one was crazy and tested me talk about doing things I've never done before. Like it was like front of house sound on these crazy mixers I had never used before. And guys would give me crash courses on how to get around them right before the show. 
and uh, and then we're doing sound check. It was it was very. Uh, so you did the sound for for. Edward Sharp? No, for the Giving Tree Band opening for Edward Sharp. Oh, okay, so okay. it was always on their mixer or like a side mixer or still, something. Still, yeah, you're like, man, I got to make them sound good. This yeah, still like a huge deal. PA, and, and I'm sitting next to a guy who's hired out of a production company out of L.A., you know, that's like <laughs> like a guy who's probably toured with some very famous people doing sound. And I'm just like, can you show me how to... <laughs> Dude, I got to meet Alex, actually, of Edward Sharp. Nice. He's a cool guy. And yeah, yeah, it Super was. Nice. It was like It was like his first show at Codfish Hollow. And I somehow got back into VIP, uh, thanks to somebody who knows exactly who they are for getting me back there. Uh, <laughs> and he he was just like, I, you know, I didn't even really know what to what to ask him or anything. It was just kind of like, you got good vibes, bro. Like, great job tonight. <laughs> like, you always want, you meet somebody you idolize and you want to, like, have something you can ask him. But sometimes it's just like. You just can't. <laughs> yeah, just nothing I have to say to you, bro. Nice job. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they were wild. They they toured, you know, they were doing this really successful tours right around the time of that home song being a hit on the radio. That song blew up. Bro. Yeah, and, and it got them all these sold out shows, you know, across the country. And they're touring in these like 1980s campers. <laughs> I thought it was awesome. It was so cool. Like you just they just they were like a traveling band of gypsies, you know. It it had that feel to it. Like they were genuine, totally like genuine. Joe Cocker style. Like just like, keep it, you know. Why spend a bunch of money on a big expensive tour bus? Like we'll keep this old, you know, nineteen eighties RV running. And but wasn't a pretty huge group they were rolling. It was a big too. group, yeah. They had, I think they had at least two of those campers, <laughs> but they were like, you know, something you'd be sit, see sitting by a farmhouse and you know, as you're driving through Indiana or something. Not like uh, something you'd expect a, a national touring act to be touring in. But but like I, super cool that they did that because like why spend the money on you know, the extra luxury if you don't need it. And you're and you're just thinking about the bare bones and what you need to survive. Dude, the new age of, like, rock stars, if we can even call them that, because they're, like, folk stars, slash, but they're still rocking when they're playing, you know. Uh, but the new age is, like, so so much more conscious of, like, that, of just, like, if we don't need it, we don't need it. Like, the old ideal of, like, rock stars is, like, do a ton of drugs and like get the biggest thing and like this mm-hmm. then fly but like nowadays it's just like have a good time and take care of people <laughs> yeah and it is it is just about what you can find in your own experience being a musician you know what what you can find to make it special because uh because you you know not everybody's going to get that fame or success and it's definitely not it should never i don't think it should ever be really be your aim um but it's like you have fame and success in your own life if you've touched people with music and you've gotten through to them, you know. And that, I'm blessed in my job where it's like, you know, I just I get to uh, help kids experience music. A lot of them for the first time, you know, dancing, playing, singing instruments, uh, you know, and then a, a band, you know, like a full band program for middle school. And it's it's wild. You watch these kids kind of blossom and uh, turn into musicians. And you're like, <laughs> it's it's just a it's a weird. Uh, you know, sort of like you're you're almost like looking back on it as it's happening. Like, yeah. like I, I already know that like 15 years from now, I'm going to look back at this moment and just be like, man, that was crazy. Now that kid's like playing in the symphony, whatever it is, you know. Dude, that is a that is an awesome role to be in. And I mean, you're a teacher just all around. Like you're already a teacher. Like if somebody has something they want to know about what you're doing, you seem like the kind of person who's just always like, yeah, this is what I do, and I'll tell you really quick if you seriously want to know. 
And, uh, yeah, maybe a little more than I probably should. <laughs> no, man, it's great. No, people got to decide. If they don't want to hear as much as, you know, they're getting, then they got to decide that. Um, so, anyways, I'd, I'd love to hear an original song from you. What are you thinking about playing for us today? Um, that's a good question. And why? Why? What What inspires you about the small room sesh? Why did you... Ch- no, just kidding. Uh, just tell me about the song. Uh, well, I haven't played this tune in several years up until today, probably like a year and a half till today. And, uh, it's called Sacrifice. It's, uh, it's actually off the Campfire Stories, which was my last record. All, it's like an acoustic record, if you can call it that. Um, and this tune, uh, this tune kind of speaks to what I was saying before about, uh, motivation and, and what it takes to get things done and, and just that, that dirty word of sacrifice, we kind of associate with a negative uh, kind of connotation to it. I think people think sacrifice is like something bad. Like, why would I want to sacrifice something? But, um, you know, I, I feel it's very positive and it's something we all need to do more of. So, yeah. For sure. Well, can't wait to hear it. Out of Paradise City My daddy was working down on the farm Had a life that wasn't so easy He always said I hope you'll live your life Never thinking that sacrifice Is anything more than what's right 
Then it was later on when I was learning guitar Played and sing like I was paid But it wasn't so I had to get a real job Put down my guitar for some steady pay I always said I tried to live my life Never thinking that sacrifice Is anything more than what's right Oh, you can try as you may Your answers cannot convey The struggle and strife of your life Your life, oh Everyone has strengths that they don't hardly use Everyone needs their life anyway I hope you'll live your life Never thinking that sacrifice Is anything more than what's right Everyone has strengths that they don't hardly use Everyone needs their life anyway Thank you. That was freaking gorgeous, ladies and gentlemen. That was Sacrifice by K9 right there. Hope you dug it. Uh, if you did like it, go to his website. I got a link in the description. It's K slash... K dash K dash N E I N dot com dot com. <laughs> anyway, so I got you that said, website. I got that website early on. Y- you were telling me earlier you wrote that on the farm. I did, yeah. Just all zend out and your solidity out there. Yeah, I spend a lot of time up there uh, working, and uh, and every once in a while I have to tell myself like you can't just go up there and work to the bone. You got to go up with your guitar sometime, or you got to go up and just enjoy it because otherwise you'll start to hate the place because <laughs> you're just working all the time. And so uh, I've been trying to incorporate that, working on more aesthetic projects instead of like, you know, maintenance stuff and and also bringing the guitar, doing the music video over the summer. Um, yeah, it's nice. Uh, back when we had rooms in the house, because we tore the whole inside out, uh, there was a bedroom upstairs that we would crash in while we were working. And so it was kind of a, a nice place. You could shut the door, get a heater on, and in the winter just heat up that one room. And you knew the whole house was, like, empty and there's no running water or so anything. So there's no but... point in heating the whole thing. Oh, no. not There's not even a heater for the oh, whole thing. Wow. Yeah. You could start a fire in the fire pit. But it's a big old farmhouse that just had a lot of problems, you know, and, and got added to over time. It's, it's probably 120 years old, I think, at this point. And uh, everybody just kept adding to it and... and so your your brain was probably super loud out there. Uh, it gets that way, yeah. I find when I'm working, what's weird is I I take one lyric or something, I just it's on like loop in my head over and over again, or or sometimes I'll meld two songs together and just kind of have that running in my head, like. Um, but no, we listen to a lot of music too. And when I say we, it's like me and my friends and and the band Oblio comes up there. They help me out working and. You know, people are, are willing to chip a hand in because they kind of see the bigger project happening, you know. And a paycheck doesn't help every once in a while. But yeah. but for the most part, I think some of my, some of my closest friends come up there to work and, and they just they just enjoy doing it, you know, being up there. And, and I think everybody enjoys 
I think everybody, maybe even a source of, of uh, depression for a lot of people is, is not feeling like you belong to something larger than yourself, you know? Yeah, totally. And that's what the farm, I think, provides for a lot of people is that it's, and especially for me, it's, I'm just part of something much bigger than myself, that my dad bought the farm. My mom and dad bought it in the 70s. You know, it's like my family was raised there and then it gets kind of left alone for the 90s and kind of falls apart. And then here, you know, my brother moves back and brings an interest into the farm. And then I kind of go up there and it's, it's just been this long road to bring it to where it's at. And, and it's cool. But yeah, we're looking at, at having running water and a bathroom and bedrooms, uh, hopefully within the next like year and a half, two years. So Righteous, man. <clears throat> it's work. Well, uh, work. so you were telling me you also played that last song when you toured China? I did, yeah, with Matthew Kopecki. So yeah. tell me about that a little bit. So Matthew's the founder, uh, I should say co-founder, but lead writer for Oblionero. Yeah, yeah. Um, it came about because my dad is a retired uh, philosophy professor, and he's a what's called a Fulbright Scholar. So the Fulbright Institute will uh, sponsor... Um, professors with doctorates to go anybody who's on the roster to if a, if a university invites them to speak they'll pay for them to go so he made a connection with this uh, bisu the beijing international studies university to have him come speak there and uh and he went over to speak by himself one time and then called me from china and was like i think he was drunk or something he's like you gotta come to china it's amazing here there's music and and you know i got this guy who's gonna book these gigs for you we're doing it and he's like two weeks <laughs> it's like, what's, what's is that play? really what happened? And I was like, how about we do it like a month from now or a month <laughs> and a half from now? And that was literally how it happened. And I called up Matt and I was like, my dad, you know, has this thing in China and, uh, you know, we could do this. Like if we, if we can get the money together and make it happen and, uh, <clears throat> you know, through, through family, family help and everything, I think both of us were able to, to scrounge it together to make it work and go. And uh, yeah, it was wild. We played at five or six different bars around Beijing, saw the old Great Wall, uh, toured the Forbidden City. Uh, and, and really, we stayed uh, because our manager, the guy uh, Jackie, <coughs> who was kind of booked all the shows and, and was our liaison there, because he was uh, not necessarily a tourist, you know, as he like lives in Beijing and grew up there, he had us staying in a part of Beijing that was not touristy at all. So we were staying in. Uh, what's deemed a love hotel, <laughs> ironically. So we were pretty much staying with all, uh, you know, people that live in Beijing, a lot of Chinese people. And um, it was interesting because it was like me, my dad, and, and Matt. <laughs> and we're just like three tall, you know, European descendant looking people walking around. It's like just such a, such a uh, you know, thumb sticking out everywhere. But, but Beijing's a cool city other than the pollution. It's that it was pretty awful, but could could you feel it like in your lungs? You, you could felt? taste it in your mouth. It was disgusting. I mean, you literally walk outside the hotel in the Ugh. morning, and it was like <laughs> metallic taste in my I'm mouth. I'm so grossed out by that. <laughs> I ended up, and and here's a funny Beijing story. If I'm going to tell one of the stories, I I lost my voice, possibly because we went clubbing and uh, and stayed out like super late, just screaming and you know drinking and just. Um, and I lost my voice and had to play a show the next day. So I went and did the show and, and just lost it even more. You know, I could barely even talk. And, uh, and we still had like three more shows left in the week. So I was like, I got to do something. So uh, my friend Jackie referred me to the Chinese hospital, the Beijing hospital, so, which is, was a crazy experience. Going to a hospital in another country where I don't speak the language. And, you know, I walk in again. I'm the only white person in the room. I'm the only person over like six feet tall, probably in the near vicinity. 
And, uh, you know, it's just this huge room, a huge building, lots of people everywhere. And I find the one receptionist who speaks English and she refers me to the one doctor who speaks English. They are uh, walking up to the elevator. They literally pushed me into the elevator to like pack everybody into the elevator and close it. And I'm like, I'm in here with a bunch of sick people <laughs> from another country. Like, don't breathe. Don't breathe. Don't get anything. Oh. And, uh, and I go to see the doctor and uh, just... Funny little things like the the uh, prompter that had everybody's name on it, you know, was all in, in Chinese characters or Mandarin characters. And then there's my name, like Michael Kriegelstein, didn't even fit on the thing because it was so large. And I see, I meet the doctor, and he's um, he speaks English, and he's like, uh, "Oh, you lost your voice, you know? Do you want to get it back fast?" I'm like, "Yeah, if you can get it back for that'd be amazing. That, That's yeah. why I'm here." And he's like, "Do you have a problem taking steroids?" And I was like. But should I have a problem? He's like, well, you know, in the Western culture, they don't really prescribe steroids a lot. And I was like, why are there side effects? And he goes, not even joking. He's like, yes, side effects. <laughs> and then he gives me a prescription that I got filled down in the in the lobby uh, for steroids. And I took one of them and instantly, like two hours later, my voice was already starting to come back. I couldn't even believe it. And then like after they, I was on like four or five pills or something, I, like totally recovery, was able to do the rest of the shows. I couldn't believe it. No roid rage. No side effects? Um, other than feeling incredible, <laughs> no side effects. I mean, my body felt like a well-oiled, tuned machine. It was wild. Man, we got to get some of that stuff here. <laughs> no, I could see why it would be very dangerous and, and why people could make it habit for me. Because, you know, I, I knew I was taking it for a specific purpose in that point in time. But, yeah, it was like, man, that's, I see why athletes take this stuff. I was like, holy cow. Well, dude, that's exactly what happened when I was on the cruise ship. I I got laryngitis three times, got the prednisone, got the steroids, fixed me day of baby sing. Wow. After that, third time I got it, had to stop a month before my contract because I couldn't talk. Oh, <laughs> and geez. I didn't talk for two months, man. So and it's good the first time. And... It's good the second time. But the third time... Nah. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't imagine it. Oh, man. So I and, and being out at sea, I... <laughs> I don't know how you guys do those cruise ship gigs. Uh, oh, dude, I wouldn't do it again. But it was great experience, you know, being younger and not uh, having even really played a bar yet. You know, all of a sudden there. But anyways, dude, Mike, I got 45-minute podcasts right now because that's uh, this site that I'm hosting it on. That's what they're letting me fill one length of a podcast with to distribute. So <laughs> it's beautiful having you. Yeah, thank thanks for you. having me over. Thank you for your stories and for your music and for everything that you're doing, building. Yeah. Because I'm excited for the future. We got to book a show together. We do have to. Let's make it happen. I'm down. I, I want to roll with the three-piece, so uh, and, I don't... And uh, we're playing Uncommon Ground. What is that? April... I think it's April 8th. That's uh, up on Devon in the city. If you live in the Chicagoland area, April 8th, it's a Saturday, Uncommon Ground. They've got... Really good food and uh, great bar selection. It's a cool place. So check it out, guys. Freaking K dash nine N E I N nine dot com. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening to the small room sesh. Thanks, Brent.